The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by Empowered. This is the most important election of our time. And let's be honest, voting during a pandemic is a little confusing right now. There's so much misinformation out there aimed towards making you believe your vote doesn't matter. It's called voter suppression and we need to stop it. Your vote does matter. Voting is the most important responsibility of citizens. Do not give up that power or that right. Get engaged, informed, and ready to vote all with one app called Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-R-D. I've used it. I learned a lot. It made me feel more confident through this entire process. I got my ballot last week. I filled it out and uh, dropped it off in an official ballot box, and I'm feeling good. Pennsylvania is ready to rock. All these top athletes are out there supporting this great app. It makes it easier for you to get all the information you need to vote. So please get involved, download the app today, and get empowered. Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-R-D. Welcome to part three of our four-part Moving Forward mini-series, analyzing social justice through the eyes of 10 young, diverse, aspiring sports professionals. I'm your host, Brian Clapp from WorkInSports.com. Social justice in sports, the idea of communicating anger and frustration based on racial inequity, took a few decades off. Bill Russell, five-time NBA Most Valuable Player, 12-time All-Star, 11-time NBA champion, Olympic gold medal winner, NCAA champion, Hall of Famer, was famous for using his platform to fight against the racism and inequality that plague our country today. Russell believes you should stand up for your beliefs no matter what the cost, and he has always lived that way. In the 60s, fans were violent toward him. The FBI surveilled him. Fellow pros criticized him, but he persevered. He spoke his truth without fear of reciprocity because his goal was to do more than win basketball games. He wanted to change the world for everyone that followed. This was the 60s. The energy and fervor to fight oppression and inequality slowed down in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. 40 years of silence from our sports stars, the leaders and most powerful voices for change, unfortunately, shut up and dribbled. Michael Jordan, Lawrence Taylor, Charles Barkley, Barry Bonds, they were all outspoken, but rarely, if ever, about social change and inequality. The voice from within became silent. Glitz, glam, and excess became the voice. Love him, hate him, respect him, admonish him. It was Colin Kaepernick that woke the sports world up and brought the athletes back down to the people. Others followed suit with power and passion, but it became clear it was no longer a shut-up-and-dribble world. That voice, the one that comes from the inside, has so much power. In 2017, Bill Russell posted a photograph of himself on Twitter in which he was taking a knee in solidarity with NFL players. He was wearing his Presidential Medal of Freedom. And the image was captioned with, proud to take a knee and to stand tall against social injustice. His voice never wavered. In an interview with ESPN, Russell said he wanted the NFL players to know they weren't alone. This conversation, part three of our Moving Forward series, 
isn't about the pros and cons of taking a knee or that granular of a stance or approach. It's about the broader topic of using your voice from the inside to affect positive change. Everyone here listening doesn't have the benefit of a platform like Kyrie Irving or Bill Russell, but change can come from listening and using the platform you do have inside our industry. To help guide me through this conversation, join me in welcoming Devin Walker, Miguel Garcia-Espinosa, and Caitlin Wallen. Caitlin, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Caitlin Wallen, and I'm from Durham, North Carolina. I graduated from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington in 2017 with a double major in business and sports management. Um, And then the past three seasons, I've actually been working with the Durham Bulls, kind of working my way up from an operations position to a membership services position until recently um, when I was one of the lucky few that got laid off due to COVID. So now I'm just trying to find my way back in. Yeah, these are tough times. We all understand and empathize. Devin, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, my name is Devin Walker. I was born and raised in Portsmouth, Virginia. Um, graduated from Virginia State University in 2019 with a my, with a major in sports management. Um, I recently just moved down here to Florida. I've been work. This is my first year working as an account executive with the Jacksonville Drummond Trump. Um, that's your story. No, that's good. <laughs> I love minor league baseball names, just for the record. I mean, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp sounds like a fun place to work. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I love right, Miguel. I love Good. No, I'm glad to hear that. Miguel, tell us a little bit about your, about your background. So, hi, my name is Miguel. Um, I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, a graduate of the University of Cincinnati, go Bearcats. Um, I majored in sports management there, um, and I currently work for Foot Locker as a CRM and email analyst. I've been there since August, so relatively still new um, and enjoying it down here in the Florida weather. Yeah, I can't beat that. (laughs) So during last week's, Devin, we'll start with you. During last week's conversation, or actually week one, uh, we focused a great deal on the statement made by you and your field cohort after the murder of George Floyd. And I want to keep moving this conversation forward from there. But before we do, you were in a unique situation because you were actively working with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp at the time, uh, which is the Miami Marlins AA affiliate. How do you balance using your voice to speak up for positive change versus the fact you're actively working in minor league baseball? Um, it's it's kind of challenging because I know I have like all my like all my superiors follow me on all of my social media, so it's it's kind of I can't I can't say what I want to say, but at the same time it's 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 good because I'm in a good position because I work with the the one and only uh, African American general manager Harold Craw. And when we when George Floyd first got killed, uh, it kind of it kind of put a toll on me and him. So he was the first one. He he made sure that we put out a statement to to make sure that like that we condone racism. We don't want any of that at the, at our uh, stadium. And he was like he really made it was like the backbone for me. Like since he made it like he made sure that he pushed he pushed the pushed ahead uh, that that we condone racism. It's just kind of like. Took the show, took it, took the weight off my shoulders, so I can actively just say what I want to say. Just like I wanted to just, just move forward from there. 
but all my coworkers made sure they was always like reaching out to me to make sure I was good when it first happened. And we like we like we all like a family there at the Jacksonville Drama Show. We like one of the most diverse front office front offices in minor league baseball, and I love it there. How much does that mean for you starting out in your sports career to be working at an organization where diversity is not just at an entry level job, but also in the leadership team and to know that there are people ahead of you that see the world through your eyes and understand uh, your impact in that that organization? How much does that mean for you? Man, it, it means a lot to me, to be honest. It's, 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 it's something that I want to be. I want to be like where Harold Craw, I want to be a general manager someday and to see that he's actually like, taking steps to like to make to be one of the best general managers in minor league baseball it just make, makes me want to he makes me want to be underneath his wing just wanted to move forward learn from him yeah so miguel in your experience are teams leagues and sports organizations ready and willing to have this conversation about social justice and equity um in my honest opinion i don't think they're ready um if you look at a lot of the front offices they don't have a lot of racial diversity or ethnicity diversity. Um, so I think no. And then I believe a lot of times, you know, they have minority committees and um, things, resources for people to have. But a lot of times when I've been, I don't even know what half of these committees do. It's just one of those things. Let me check the box off to make sure that we're, we have everything in order. No one can say, hey, we're not doing the right thing when you're actually just doing the bare minimum. Um, and there was even a scenario at the winter baseball meetings where um, one of my co uh, members of my cohort, Gerald, there was a question. I can't remember the exact question, but I remember we are in the diversity panel. And one of the questions was, you know, made everybody at your table feel uncomfortable. And at his table specifically, everybody got up and left just because it was a, it was a push on them that, hey, step out of your comfort zone. Let's really tackle this head on and see what we can come up with and what, what we can do to become better. Um, so little things like that just show you they're not ready to do it. They're not, either they're not ready or they're not willing. So it's one or the other. Um, so I think with that, you see a lot of social media messages, but there's no plan. It, it's something to say, hey, we support this cause or hey, we don't, we're, we're against racism. But when you don't do anything within your organization or outside of the organization to work towards progress and are you really ready to have that conversation how much just a quick follow-up with you miguel how much are young people like yourselves who are going out and getting into the sports industry and being on the inside how much are you able to affect change because i think it's almost an unfair burden to place that on you and say okay great you're in your new job i want you to go and make a huge committee change or change the way the organization is run that seems like too big of a challenge. How are you able to make some positive changes from within? I think really um, just breaking a lot of stereotypes and just going in and doing the best job that you can um, and trying to create relationships. And it, and it may seem tough and overwhelming at times because um, I know specifically one of my, actually at quite a few of my internships, I was the only racial minority. Um, and it's tough to really feel like I, to feel that, that you belong and that you're able to make something positive of your experience. Um, so going in, it's a little bit tougher, but like I said, just going in doing the best job that you can do and trying to educate people on the, when you are presented the opportunities, I'm not saying, you know, Hey, 
entry level position, you're going to go in here and change the whole organization 180 is going to be completely different from when you arrived. Um, but just little by little, um, 1% at a time, just making it better. The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. And I'm lucky enough to be joined by executive director and co-founder of the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, Kareen Million. Kareen, how are you? I am fantastic. I'm so excited to be here today. So tell us a little bit more about the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. The Winning Edge Leadership Academy is not just an organization, but a community movement to develop the next generation of women and minorities, especially student athletes in sports and entertainment. So your mission to develop this next generation is incredibly important. How do you do it? What are your steps and how do you empower tomorrow's leaders? We engage, we empower, and we elevate. We meet them where we they are, whether it's on campus or Instagram Live. We empower them by providing mentors and resources to get where they to get them where they want to be, and then we elevate. We promote their skills and we get them jobs. Isn't that what it all comes down to, right? Is to helping them get to the employment part and put them in leadership opportunities? Yes, and it could be as simple as that. We don't have to build a school in Africa to make real change. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I'm sure that you've seen success come through the program. How motivating is that for you when you start to see the people that you've worked with get out there and in the industry and start working and making a difference? It literally is what wakes me up in the morning and keeps me up at night. I have been blessed to be a witness on the journey of many industry professionals, young professionals, and we have a couple future athletic directors and VPs in our in our coffers, so I'm so excited for them. That's what we need more of. We need more representation. So thank you so much for coming on. How can our listeners learn more and get involved? Yes, you can visit our website. We keep it pretty simple. WeGameChange.org. We can also, we're on every social platform other than TikTok and Snapchat. And our handle is The We Leadership. I love that. And I'm also not on TikTok. I'm too old. (laughs) Thank you, Corrine. It's so great to hear from you. Thank you. I'm excited to see how this creates real change. Caitlin, it feels to me like young people like all of you are shouting to be heard. The fact that you guys put together the statement, the fact that you guys all banded together as a group and had that strength together is impressive. My question to you is, are the right people listening? You guys are screaming. Are the right people in the sports industry listening? Do you think people are hearing you? So I think it's really hard not to hear what is going on and what is being said um, in today's climate, regardless of kind of what is being said. I think everybody's hearing, especially what we're saying, but I don't think that they're willing to listen and be proactive on it. And I do think that a lot of it has to do with being available to take those steps towards having deep and meaningful actions and statements being said. Um, And if teams just took the time to really just listen and come up with very meaningful actions that actually help solve problems, I think that we'd be going in a better direction than just kind of giving a blanket general statement to say that, oh, yes, we heard you but we're just going to give a broad spectrum statement instead of actually creating steps that need to be taken. 
So what do you think needs to be done? I know that's a big question and I know it's a broad question, but we so often are seeing corporate statements and we're seeing social media posts and we're seeing we reunite reunite against racism. And that's all great. That's important. But what needs to be done? What actions would you guys like to start to see? Caitlin, we'll start with you. So I definitely would like to see um, kind of combating the diversity and inclusion within teams. Um, I know that during our um, field meeting back in June of 2019, we heard from one of our field alumni who was a trainee and they were only paying him $9.25 an hour for a full-time job. Um, and he got the cheapest apartment that he could and he ended up sleeping on the floor. He ended up eating the food out of the like break rooms. He had a boss that kind of helped him out with laundry services to make sure that he had clean clothes. But I think that the issue is, is, you know, these intro trainee jobs that we have aren't a livable wage or a livable salary for a bunch of students who are trying to break into the industry and who are trying to get that. And it would be really great if they could you know, really pay for the value that you're getting with any trainee that comes through. But then I also think it's community outreach. I think it's educational classes um, for both players and front office staff. I think it's, you know, going out and making sure everyone is um, educated and on the same page for um, civil justice and, and, you know, the right kind of movements. Devin, we talk a lot about programs like Field, which is a really incredible program, but it's only one week. And obviously you guys have banded together, you've gotten to know each other, and you've thrown that community out wherever you guys have gone back and brought your influence back to the organizations you're currently in. We talk about the development of roles like diversity and inclusion. These were roles that didn't even exist 10 years ago. So this is progress in some ways. But what does it feel like for you on the front lines actually working day-to-day in the sports industry? It sounds like you have a very representative organization, but put yourself in the the shoes of both situations, your positive situation that you're currently in, but also what you've heard and seen from other people in the industry. What's it like day to day? Day to day, I feel like it's we are we trying to make we trying to make the steps to to like make sure that we are trying to like trying to move ahead. But at the same time, I feel like when we take one step forward, we take we get not back two steps back. Um, I know once we put out this this um, statement regarding everything with that regarding everything that they didn't they took too long to actually like come out with a statement. Uh, they actually came back to us and they wanted to talk to us about it and wanted to make sure like we was on the same page with them about and see say on the same page with them to see if we was try, if we had our head on right too. It felt like that we was like getting punished a little bit for putting that statement out before before they released something. Yeah. That's what I feel like. So what would you like to see as far as progress? We, we've discussed a lot of different ways, but what's one thing that you'd like to see more of across the sports industry? Across the sports industry, I would like to see more diversity in the, in the leadership roles. That's what I would want to see more to me. Cause since I'm in since I'm in that position where I'm in now, it will put somebody else in that same position to make them feel like they want to work more and want to work harder underneath somebody that's that's look just like me. Yeah, Miguel, 
your current organization, Foot Locker, has actually been a leading voice in the sports industry when it comes to diversity and inclusion for a long time. Uh, I did back went back and did some research and read some of the statements from the CEO and some of the perspectives that they've had in, as an organization, and they've led the way. It hasn't been a trailing response and reactive. It's They've been pretty proactive. How does that feel for you to work for an organization and know that you are valued from inside? And, and how does that feel for you on a day-to-day in the industry? I mean, I think it makes it easier, um, especially because, like I said, it's just not a statement. They're actually having these conversations in the whole corporate, like big corporate meetings that we have. Um, they're actually having these discussions and why this, why this discussion is important and how everybody should feel. Um, but I also think they take it a step further, even more where I was, they offer, you know, scholarships for their part-time associates. Um, and not a lot of companies like Caitlin just said, you're, you're going through that working for them and you're only getting paid nine forty-five versus a company that you, you know, you're getting your part-time hourly wage, but then on top of that, they're covering some of your schooling for you. Um, that's something that, I mean, when I got that scholarship, I felt valued by the company, even though most companies are, you're just a part-time employee. Why would we do anything for you? Um, so it's been something very, for me, very special because I've never been a part of a company that's felt this strongly and has actually walked the walk, not just talked the talk. Um, and I think for that, like if you if you pay attention to the statements they put out, they don't just put out statements. They're also they have a plan for the next five years on how they're going to you know support minority communities both with economic development and through education. It's not just hey here's a statement, let's move forward type thing. We're we're all about it. So the on a whole scale from internally from all the from part time to corporate, I I feel no different. I feel embraced by the company. Um, it's I've been enjoying. From when I was a part-time employee at Champ Sports, now to you know being one of the email and CRM analysts for the the Banner Champ Sports, um, so I, I've been enjoying it, and it's it makes it a lot easier to go to work versus dragging by. Hey, I don't really feel valued here. They don't really care for me. Um, I'm just here to pick up a paycheck. It's more than that for me at Foot Locker. I think what's really cool about that too is that we've seen a lot of sports organizations that are flush with cash that are throwing money at the problem. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like when the when the Boston Celtics say we're going to dedicate $20 million to social justice reform, that's a good thing, right? But you want to see a plan too. You want to know what that money's going towards and if they're changing things like hiring practices and they're doing leadership programs. So for like what to, to what your point is the fact that Foot Locker is backing it up with plans, I think can be really empowering for all of you. Um, Caitlin, is it possible to make positive strides on topics as impactful as race and social justice as a young voice from within an organization? Or is that really an unfair burden to place on this generation and the younger people just getting started in the industry? It feels like to me, not to put words in your mouth, but my generation should be the one changing this. This burden shouldn't lie on all of you, but how can you, how can you make positive strides in this world? So I definitely do think it's possible to make impactful and positive strides within an energy, I mean energy, um, a company or an organization. Um, I just think that as new and upcoming, and we are the future executives that are coming up, like Devin wants to be a future GM, I'm kind of along the same path as him and following Emily's footsteps of being a female GM of a AAA team. Um, I do think that since we are those future execs, we can definitely be making the changes now that need to happen in the future um, because we are creating the future that we want for ourselves. 
Um, but I do think it's a bit unfair advantage for us to be doing all the legwork and all the changes and all the ideas if upper management and the generation that was before us is not willing to sit down and really listen to the issues that we're talking about and the changes that we want to make. I think it is a two-way street, but if we put in the hard work now, we do the little bit of extra leg work uh, while we're still young and we have the energy, we're literally making it the future that we want it to be. The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by Sports Biz Camps. And I'm lucky enough right now to be joined by Vincent Pearson, Principal Strategist for Diversity and Inclusion on the Sports Biz Camps team and former top guest of the Work in Sports podcast, one of my all-time favorites. How are you, Vincent? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks again for having me. Of course. I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you. So tell us a little bit more about Sports Biz Camps. Give us a little idea of your mission and purpose. Absolutely. So I've been working with Sports Biz Camps for about the past year and the idea founded in 2019, the idea was how do we create an experience for students before they get to college that can give them an understanding of what working in sports means. Too many students enter college uh, and they just don't have an idea of the breadth of the industry. And we think that's learning then is a little too late. So the idea was let's tap them before they get into college, let's tap them in high school and start talking about what working in sports really means. I think that's so wonderful because I talk at a lot of college campuses and you still find people, freshmen, sophomore, junior years who aren't really sure where they fit. So just kind of start that conversation earlier is so important. How have your programs been received by the community so far? It's been really well received. So we started in Charlotte and there we had about 100 plus students come out, attend and enjoy the programming. From there, we had friends in Chicago and Indianapolis in the Jersey Shore area. So we're like, we've got to expand this thing. Um, and then, you know, we, we insert coronavirus and we go virtual. And now we've got students from about 37 different states who've participated in our programming. And it seems like we're really on to something where there's both an interest, but as you and I both know, there's a need for this type of education for students before they step into the college space. Yeah, and it's affordable opportunity. So it's, it's, it allows everybody to come in and learn, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is everything is free of charge for students. We've got donors, we've got grants, we've got supporters. But at the end of the day, no matter what, we want that programming to be free for students. And that's how all of this starts is with an equitable situation that everybody can thrive under and there's no barriers to entry and everybody gets an opportunity to grow and to learn and to get them early interested in the sports industry and growing. So you're creating the leaders of tomorrow, which is really exciting. Uh, so for everybody listening, how can they learn more and get involved? Absolutely. We ask you to join us. Uh, first, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Sport Biz Camps. That's the handle on Instagram and LinkedIn. But then uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, but then also visit our website. We've got tons of information on what we've done, but also what we're planning to do. The organization is still new and growing, so you can get involved with our programming. At the very least, follow and tell a high school student, come along. Fantastic, Vincent. Thanks for telling us more. Thank you, Brian. Devin, let's talk really honestly here. Do you think conversations like this help? Do you think there are enough people out there that are willing to listen and have some empathy and put themselves in somebody else's shoes and understand their journey and story? Or do you feel like, do you feel like people are more receptive to that now? Like having this conversation and pushing it out there and being able to tell your story, does that help 
or are there actually more people out there that kind of tune out when we have these conversations and they do open up? I feel like, like now everybody, some, my majority of the people, they want to like, they want to like listen to what you, what, where you coming from and where you come from, or they want to, they want to listen to you more now, but at the same time, we still have people that like, when you try to talk to, when you try to talk to them, it's still like, it goes through one ear and going, it goes throughout the other ear. That's why I feel like now it just more, I say more recently now, since, since we took this, since we, since like we try to like move forward, I feel like we more like we trying to like to move like trying to move forward now. So I feel like, yeah, Miguel, what do you think about that? So I think a lot of times where diversity and inclusion is seen as convenient, that's when people are listening, or when it comes with dollar signs. Um, not really if it if it's not coming with dollar signs or if it's not convenient for their organization, they're really not going to tune in and open up and really embrace it. I think a lot of times um, they tune out and it's like, oh, well, either we've been doing it this way the entire time. Why should we change anything? Or it doesn't really make business sense for us. Why would we do that? Um, and we actually experienced that uh, when we visited an or- a minor league baseball organization with the field program where we asked a question, you know, why haven't you guys stepped up to, you know, do more of, you know, diversity and inclusive events, uh, making everybody else feel comfortable and they they pretty much said, hey, it doesn't make business sense. And it's uh, why would we do that? Um, our demographic really isn't that. So why why should we push the table? Uh, I, it's so frustrating to hear. And I'll just be completely honest in here, too. Um, I've been very excited about these conversations and this whole four part series because we need to amplify the young, diverse voices out there because you are the future of the sports industry. And yet I will be just completely transparent here. As we publish these episodes, we've had, there has been less downloads for these episodes and there have been for our normal episodes. And that has made me very upset in a lot of ways because it's like people put on a show and act as if they want to be a part of change and progress. But when it actually comes time to listen with an open mind and heart and try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, they're not as interested. Caitlin, does that does that ring true to you or does that sound like I'm just overreacting? Um, I definitely think it's probably true. I think everybody at the beginning of the social justice, you know, movement that's been happening since George at the beginning, they were all gung ho and they were willing to listen and they were willing to, you know, do the blackout screen on Instagram or, you know, those kind of steps. But now that it's been at some time, they're just kind of like letting it pass over their head, like Devin said. Um, And I think that there's now less of willing to listen and kind of more of like a shrugging of the shoulders and being like, okay, like we hear you, but it isn't something that we haven't heard before. Um, And I just don't think it's fair because these are some really important matters and issues that we have right now and that we're trying to make changes and if we could just have more people listening and being willing be willing to open and have those conversations i think we could take this all the way that it needs to go yeah there needs to be real action put behind it it's easy to put a blackout square it's harder to listen and analyze yourself it's harder to say maybe i need to change maybe i need to go at this differently 
So we can all do like superficial things, but to actually really start to force change requires everybody to be a little bit self-reflective. And I hope that that will eventually start to happen. Miguel, a few months back, I had on a guest uh, on the show, Amina Soleiman, who's a Muslim woman working in scouting for the Philadelphia Eagles. And she shared a story of being in Tulsa, Oklahoma and getting a lot of strange looks and side glances. And she referred to them as microaggressions, which I think is apropos. Um, She's tough. And she was like, I don't let it affect me. And I kept doing my thing and I wasn't too worried about it. But for you, from a personal standpoint, do you feel embraced? Do you feel like there are these kind of microaggressions that happen to you in the industry as well? Yeah, I believe um, it happens to really anybody of a minority descent. Um, luckily, I've never really felt embraced. Um, typically in organizations, you see a lot of the minorities grouping together because they know I can feel comfortable around you. You're, you may We may not come from the same exact background, but we have similar experiences while we're in this organization. Um, so for me, there was one example where when I was interning for a company, I had done, let me back up. They were introducing new interns and I had been an intern there for about two months or so. And I've done a couple projects for the gentleman that was introducing the new interns. And when he came over to my desk, um, he was really, Hey, like, I don't know your name. I don't think we've met what, like, what do you do type thing? And could you introduce yourself? And for that, it was like a slap in the face. Like I've legit done three projects for you already. And I'm the only Hispanic on this floor. I'm the only one in this organization with two last names. Like I clearly stand out. Um, but there's a lot of times where I would never eat lunch in the, like our little break area. And on my floor specifically, I would always go up to the fourth floor and eat with my friends that are also minorities because I felt comfortable to eat with them and talk to them and be myself, not creating this whole different personality that that isn't Miguel outside of work. Miguel on the first, on the second floor was a lot different than Miguel on the fourth floor when I was around people that look like me and I could talk to. Um, so I think there isn't, I've never really felt embraced or anything like that. Um, even when you try to have these conversations like, hey, let me try to be the person to initiate conversation. Let me talk to them. They're really just short one answers. They don't don't really have that conversation. Um, and I'm not saying it's everybody. There are people that are going to have discussions. But I feel like when I have discussions or start building relationships with people, I have to find what I have in common with them versus them finding what's in common with me. Um, and that's really tough and demoralizing to go to work every single day and feel like, uh, I don't, I'm not valued here. No one cares or anything like that. Or not even realizing also that like the minorities are continually grouping with each other. And there's a specific reason you feel comfortable around people that are similar to you. Um, and I don't think every, anybody ever realized that that was going on, no matter how often it happened. Devin, what about you? Have you faced microaggressions like this or even more outwardly aggression? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of face a little bit of microaggressions. I know it's been a couple of times, like, since we had, like, events, like, socially distant events, because we don't have, a, since minor league baseball cut, cut the baseball season, I mean, we had to find something to do to, to generate revenue. So we had, like, a couple, like, movie nights and, like, socially distant, like, bingo nights. And, like, it's been a couple of times where, like, where I'm like working a front desk or something and like people would just happen to like just look at me and then they would go to 
if I'm working, if I'm working this side, some people will, will try to move to, will try to go to the other side, or they will try like to not even like want to like make eye contact with me. So it's it's when you working at, when you working in sports, it's kind of hard because I mean you can't really lash out because that's not it's not what you want. That's not even what you want to do, and it's not what you don't want to have that have that behavior. Like people are like, oh, like that's the overly aggressive uh, black black um, black person right there. So I I try to keep everything in my in my in my mind. So I just try to like just if I see them, just move forward, just keep moving past them. I mean, that's the right attitude. It's just sad that you have to even get yourself to that point. I was thinking recently during the presidential debates, and I won't make this a political conversation, but I was reading where Barack Obama felt like he had to be back in his presidential debates prior. Um, he felt like he had to represent himself in a different way because he didn't want the media or anybody else to label him as an angry black man. And it's so hard that he has to think that way. And that's exactly what you're saying here is that you can't react in a certain way because somebody's going to label you or judge you in a certain way. And that's just, it's unfortunate. And again, that's why we try to have these conversations so everybody can self-analyze a little bit and see where they are a problem in the process. Caitlin, um, it feels like We've we started to touch on this a little bit, but I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into it. the The idea of money in the in, in the in the change, right? The the use of money to make a positive influence and to to pledge money it's it's not a bad thing, right? So uh, recently, Harris Blitzer, the owners of the Sixers and Devils, pledged twenty million. The Boston Celtics pledged twenty five million. Foot Locker, I read, pledged two hundred million, which is amazing. If you had the opportunity to advise these teams, like if they came and had a conversation like this and said, we want to gather together young people who are aspiring to get into our industry and we want them to help us to say, what are the best things we can do with this money to affect real change? What kind of advice would you give them? So um, I think I would like divide it up into different sections. Um, The biggest one being um, treating your employees and your trainees like they're actually of value and paying them a value. I know during my trainee days, none of the money that I was being provided by my hourly salary was enough for me to rent a place in Durham by myself. And I had to have, luckily, I have parents who have been great financial help to me, but I know that not everybody has that option. So while it might be lowering your trainee numbers down, but providing them an actual livable salary and wage and benefits and not just giving them $9 an hour, but telling them that they need to be here 40 hours a week, I think that that's really big. I think that they also need to take time to create partnerships and scholarship programs for those local universities that are around them and, um, you know, be able to have partnerships with those schools to create automatic um, training jobs or internships within the team. I know um, one of the minor league teams I was looking at was looking at partnering with their HBCU that was in town of creating a direct pipeline of communication and marketing internships and jobs for those students at that school with that team to help make sure that they know that there's there's spots available for them. So I definitely think it's putting in the money and adding that value to their employees and their training position. But I also think it's giving back to the community, making a better community around them and giving everybody the, I guess, best educational and prop, not property, um, educational 
and other available options like healthcare and food and doctors and stuff like that, that, that they, they need that they might not be able to get elsewhere. It's so true. I think the hiring practices are a big part of this and how this should be affected. Hiring practices and education, I think, would be the two biggest things that I'd like to see develop. Miguel, what about you as you think about this and you think about these huge dollar signs? I mean, your company pledging 200 million. Um, where would you like to see those kind of funds go and, and, and affect change? Um, so a big thing I believe in would be education. Um, I mean, me being a first generation student, um, first person from my family to graduate from grad school. Um, I like the economic strain on it is very, very tough. And if it wasn't, you know, I was unfortunate enough to receive scholarships along the way, I probably would have ended up having to drop out um, and having to work getting money and then going back to school. Um, so I definitely think like scholarships for minorities, is it's a big thing. Um, and taking it a little bit further than that as well, um, on the education side of things, you know, mentorship um, and then internships and actually helping these people grow professionally as well, um, more than just, hey, here's a scholarship, go do whatever you want. Because I feel like, especially as a first generation student, you're, your head's all over the place. You don't know what direction to go in. You don't know what you should be doing. Um, and I was lucky enough to have professors that guided me and mentored me like, Hey, this is how you would want to navigate. This is when you want to start interning. These are the type of internships you start doing um, these and connecting you with people as well. Um, I think that's a big thing, but also on the economic development, economic development side of things, um, you know, investing in minority owned businesses, um, purchasing more, you know, like products from black owned brands. Um, and, you know, and also, you know, giving resources to the communities that you're serving. Um, a lot of times people forget like who they're actually serving and just, you know, writing a check and hoping the money goes in the right place. Um, for for Foot Locker, I, I've seen, like I've read the plan and I think it's it's something that, that is very well written out and it's, you know, it's a good goal, all the good goals that they have. Um, so I think education, economic, economic development is going to be, the two big things for me where the money should go. I love the point you made in there too, where it's not just throwing scholarship or grant money at somebody and saying, all right, you're on your own, but it's paid for like actually giving guidance and mentorship and leadership and just like being there for somebody to be a part of their community and part of their growth journey is a really good additive point to this discussion. So one of the things that struck me in one of the prior conversations we had uh, was about the small steps too. Like we talk, we're talking in big numbers now. We're talking about having a voice from within and that's super important. Those are big things we need to consider and, and make a strategy for that will set us up for future success. But how can we all make positive changes on a small scale? And what are those things that we need to do better job of? Caitlin, we'll start with you. Caitlin, like what are the small steps we can all take as individuals to represent in the right way? Are we talking about like on a sports level or just in a general community way? All the above. So um, I think definitely education is always important. Self-education I think is extremely important. Um, I know for me, I've been shopping local. I've been shopping um, um, Hispanic-based businesses for most of my groceries. Like I have a local bodega around here that's um, actually called the Mexican grocery store. 
Um, but I'm trying to support a local business that's right on my corner instead of going to a big box store like Walmart. I make sure that when I'm shopping in Durham, I do it through a list of approved black owned businesses because they have the exact same products that I want. And I'm just trying to make myself more, um, immersed in my community. So I understand more of my community problems and ways that I can help make changes. And then I'm also, um, giving my time and going to our Hey Tight community center. Um, they're giving out virtual free lectures right now on ways that other people can be allies. Um, I'm doing protesting, like I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that I'm helping the voices that need to be heard right now. Um, that fits with my schedule. I think there's always something that you can do, whether it's a virtual you know, educational seminar, walking in the streets or anything like that. I had a, uh, a bit of epiphany after the first episode of this published, because as I referenced earlier, um, you know, the download numbers for these episodes have been a little bit smaller than others. And I reached out to a friend of mine and I, I, I told them that and I said, you know, this is a little bit maddening to know that we're not reaching our normal audience on such an important topic. And they told me, and I, I keep holding tight to this, they told me, look, it's about impacting people in small numbers. It doesn't always have to be massive. If you're impacting even just anyone, it can make a difference that resonates for years to come. And that's given me some solace in all of this. Miguel, what about you? What are the small things that you'd like to see more people, even from an allyship perspective or any of this, anywhere in this conversation, we're talking big things, but what are those small things that you'd like to see people get better at? Um, I think it's just honestly having the conversation, those uncomfortable conversations that most people don't want to have. Um, I have them all the time with my friends as I have a very diverse group of friends and everybody, you know, they, everybody has a different story. Everybody sees the world in a different lens. Um, so I just having those conversations, be open to those conversations, actually listening, not just hearing people listening and absorbing that information um, and really just using that information to live day by day. And, you know, making sure that you're making you're trying to make everybody as comfortable as they want to be, as you want to be. You don't want people, you know, I it irritates me when people mispronounce my name and don't ask, Hey, did I pronounce it wrong? Uh, pronounce it right. Or sorry if I pronounce it wrong. Um, and those little things like that, like, Hey, am I pronouncing your name? Right. Um, I'm doing that. And then also I think just like Caitlin said, self-education, taking it a step further and actually doing the research of why certain things are the way that they are and not just making assumptions, not thinking, Oh, this Hispanic family is living in poverty because they're lazy. They're not, they're not smart. They're not anything like that. Um, and for me, like growing up in poverty and, you know, having a dad that came here at a very young age and, you know, my dad's been working since he was 16 years old, 80 hours a week. And we, me and my brother are finally the ones that, you know, broke through and, you know, got the educational opportunity. Cause a lot of times it's not, it's not laziness. It's not any of that. Um, it's just that one opportunity that you need to break through the door. Um, so just educating yourself that, hey, these people aren't in this bad situation because they're lazy or because they're not doing the right things or anything like that. Um, but I, I think those are the two major things that I see as at a small level that people should just start doing self-education and having those uncomfortable conversations. 
and breaking down all those generalizations that people have. I totally agree. Devin, what about you? What are the small changes you'd like to see people make that you interact with on a day-to-day that you'd like to see people get better at? Um, something I want to, like, I'm going to touch on to what Miguel said about these uncomfortable conversations. I know uh, ever since I've been working here with the Jumbo Shrimp, I mean, there's been a couple of times where, like, some people didn't want to have that conversation with me, but I made sure I wanted to have that conversation with them just to see where their mind was at. And it just, just to wanted to see, just wanted them to know where, where I was coming from also. And then uh, I wanted to see, like, actually, like, listening to your uh, community. Like, that's where, like, li- if you listen to your community and if you, like, try to give back to them, I mean, that's they, it's, that's going to get better from there. I mean, I mean, you can't, if you're working in sports, like, that's that's all you, that's where majority of your money gonna come from is the fans. So you gotta listen to your fans to see to see what's going on in, in your community. Guys, go ahead, Miguel. You have something you wanna yeah. add in there? Yeah, just one quick thing. Um I just thought about it. Um so from like a sports perspective, and this is more of like a smaller level, when you think of the resources or the amount of teams that allow kids to play. So I'm fortunate enough to work or a coach for a club that offers scholarships for low income families. Um, and that's something that you don't, a lot of people don't think about that the opportunity to even play a sport is something huge for a kid and for their development at a very young age. Um, so I think if more clubs or more organizations, and I know that's not the situation for everybody, but there are certain clubs that have this opportunity to open the door for more kids to play. Um, and I think that's going to be something huge from a sports level side of thing. Yeah. Opportunities to play, opportunities to educate, opportunities to hire. It always comes back to opportunity. And that's on all of us that are in leadership positions in the sports industry to influence positively and change. And one of the points I've tried to make many, many times in the past is internships, every one of them need to be paid. There should not be any free work because that is in itself prohibitive to so many people. And I make this rant all the time. I think I even made it in one of the episodes of this show, but I just can't get enough of this conversation of saying, you know, not everyone can work for free and they need, everyone needs to gain experience. So there should be not a single organization out there that's listening to this show or that is, is connected to us that is even considering giving out an unpaid internship because that is just an unfair, untenuous situation. Everyone needs to be paid for their time so that they can also get an experience and get the opportunity to get hired out in the, in the sports world. Thank you guys. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm so glad that we're able to have it. Thank you all for being a part of it. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thanks to Miguel, Caitlin, and Devin for joining me in this important conversation about change and using your voice. I'll finish up by quoting historian Howard Zinn, author of A People's History of the United States. We don't have to engage in grand heroic actions to participate in the process of change. Small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can change the world. Thanks for listening.